was sitting down here, I realized that our stream was cutting in and out. So if you're online and listening, we apologize, but those things are out of my control. So, um, but uh, hopefully it's hopefully it is working okay now. If not, it will be posted later on to our website as well as to YouTube. But in just a few minutes, uh, we'll be looking at the book of Ephesians. And we're going to look at two specific verses in the book of Ephesians. We're going to look at uh, Ephesians chapter 4 and verses 15 and 16. If you'd like to go ahead and find your way there in, in your Bible this morning or using the Bible app or, or whatever it is that you might be using this morning. Stop and think with me for just a moment about our culture. Would you say that... Um, our culture often has a fear of commitment. You see, we, we see this in marriage, don't we? Couples uh, will ask, why should we get married when we can just live together for a while and we can see if things work out and then maybe we could get married? Or um, have you ever been to one of those uh, frozen yogurt places? Okay. That is like an indecisive person's worst nightmare, right? Yeah. You go in there and there's 15 flavors of frozen yogurt to choose from, but we have to taste every single flavor because we, we don't know, well, what if we like this one and we don't like this one or don't like that one and like this one. And, and so we got to try every single flavor of Froyo before we commit. We have trouble committing to just one flavor. And then sometimes we still can't commit to one flavor. We have to put multiple flavors inside of our... Too many toppings. Frozen yogurt and toppings. And I mean, it's just crazy. Similarly, think about Christianity. How many Christians have this thought? Why join a church? Why not, why not just attend and check it out for a while... What's the point of joining? Some churches don't even have formal membership. In many of these churches, pastors and elders make all the church decisions. There are never any congregational meetings. And if you are a member, attendance does not require any commitment to a doctrinal standard or discipline on part of the attendee. Besides that, I'm sure that, that many of us know of people or maybe... Uh, we ourselves have been burned by a church in the past, right? People go to church and they start getting involved in, in serving um, and then someone either attacks them or someone spreads uh, false rumors about them or, they, or they're involved in a church where they trusted the pastor and uh, they find out the pastor is having an affair or something along those lines and, and he's in deep sin or they experience a, an unpleasant church conflict and they want to avoid that kind of painful situation. And so they say, you know what, I'm just checking out. I'm not going to commit to a church because I just really don't want any part of that. They have a personal relationship with Jesus. They're just not going to get involved in the church. Besides, they like to have their weekends to themselves just in case something comes up so they're not tied down. And so what happens is, is all this feeds into uh, the current trends. 
This is especially true among millennials, where they say, let's just have church in our home. Now let me ask you this. Do you think the pandemic has added to that or has it taken away from this whole idea of non-committal, let's just have church in our home? It's added to it, of course. Millennials want authentic community, but they want it with few other believers. They don't like pouring money into a church building or paying for a church staff. In fact, millennials really despise the megachurch mentality with their huge parking lots, their canned programs, and their professional concert-like worship services. They also do not like the idea of a pastor telling them how they should live their life. He's probably just a hypocrite anyway, just like all those that he preaches to every single week. If they want a sermon, they can just go find one online. And so they will meet with a few friends in their home every once in a while, and they'll call that church. But is it really? Why would anyone want to join the church? And, and should we, as church members, be trying to convince people to join a church? We'll be in several passages of Scripture this morning, but I want to use Ephesians 4, verses 15 and 16 as the driving text for this message. And so I'd ask that if you are willing and able, would you please stand out of respect for God's Word as we read Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. We'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. <clears throat> May you teach us about the church this morning. May you teach us from your word why it is that we should want to unite with the church, join a church, be a part of the church, contribute to the church. I pray that we would see your plan for, for how it is that church is supposed to function and operate with its members. Speak to us for your saints are listening. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> just so you know, the thrust of this message this morning, I'm going to let you know right up front. So, so here's the sentence sermon for you. Church membership is not about showing up but about being committed to serving. Church membership is not about showing up, but about being committed to serving. And so what I'm going to do is use four questions to prove this point this morning. Question number one will be, is church membership biblical? Question number two will be, why should I join the church? Question number three, who should the church allow to join? And question number four, what does church membership consist of? And so first of all, is it biblical? Is church membership biblical? Now, I'm sure that you all remember the very first message I preached in this series. You can probably recall it word for word. It was titled, What is the Church? Right? And in that message, I gave this definition. The local church is a gathering of those people who believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and are committed to regularly meeting together for worship, teaching, fellowship, and prayer, and who are making every effort to make disciples that make disciples. 
Now, one of the most critical words in that definition is the word committed. This is a picture of a, of a Christian who is committed to a local gathering of believers in Jesus Christ where he or she serves the Lord and they are actively involved with other believers. This is a New Testament concept. This commitment is the key idea in church membership. This is the, the very picture that Paul gives us in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. If we looked at that, we, we were reading that, and we, we said, well, what are all the active words there? We are to speak the truth in love. We are to grow up in all aspects into Him. We are to be fitted and held together. And the body is to grow and build itself up in love. In our body, there is no part of our body that is passive or useless. Everything in your body has a function. In the same way, every member of the church has a function. Every member has a function that's important to the overall growth of the church, the health of the church, and the strength of the body. So here's a question. Why do we not find church membership mentioned specifically in the Bible? We can't go to, you know, First Hesitations 3.1 and, and say, well, you know, thou shalt be a member of the church. In fact, I've had, I've had people ask me that. And the answer is, uh, though membership may not specifically be mentioned, it is certainly implied all through the New Testament. We just don't see it in a formal capacity. Life is needed today because then... As you've heard me say, there was one church per city. So if you were a Christian, you didn't have a bunch of options of where you're going to go to church at. If you lived in Ephesus, you were a member of the church in Ephesus. Today, just in North America, there are typically dozens of options of evangelical churches in our cities. And when someone floats from church to church, they lack a commitment to a particular people and submission to a particular group of elders that will give an account for their souls according to Hebrews 13, 17. Please understand something. If you are not a local church member, then who are you accountable to for your walk with Christ? The answer is no. The fact is there are many New Testament texts that infer or state that local churches knew exactly who their members were, such as Matthew 18, 17, where Jesus is talking about discipline. And he says this, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. How would you confront a sinning believer if you did not know who the people in the church were? How would you tell it to the church? What would be the point of the church if the church didn't exist of having members? When speaking about church discipline, Paul tells the church at Corinth to expel a sinning member in 1 Corinthians 5, 12, and 13. It says, for what have I do to do with judging outsiders? It is, not, it is not those inside the church whom you are to judge. God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. The Apostle John says in 1 John chapter 2, 19, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Who is the us? The church. Paul, when he's giving instructions concerning the Lord's Supper, says, For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. First 
Corinthians 11.18. There's the implication that there was a defined group that came together as a church, and even though they were coming together as a church at the same time, there were ungodly divisions that were among them. Acts 11.26, Paul and Barnabas met with the church and taught considerable numbers. Acts 12.1, Herod laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. Acts 12.5, after Herod had arrested Peter with the intent of executing Peter, prayer for him was being made fervently by the church. Acts 14.23, we have Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in every church. There are the churches, these are the churches that Paul and Barnabas planted on their first missionary journey, and they're appointing elders who would get responsible, would, would be responsible for oversight to their particular churches, so they obviously had to know who the members were. Now, after their first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas gathered the church together to report how the Lord had used them on their journey. Ephesians 2, 19-22, Paul gives us a picture of the church as a holy temple. And he says the church is being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Now, have you ever seen a temple that was built from timber and material that was just completely disconnected from one another? Independent, all the materials independent from each other? just kind of floated around wherever it felt like going during the week? No, it wouldn't make any sense. You can't build anything that way, right? They're built from definite materials that, that are committed to their spots for a particular structure. In Ephesians 4, 25, Paul commands us to speak the truth with one another because we are members of one another. That is true for all Christians everywhere, but it specifically applies to those who are in a local church who are being built together in the Lord. Also, we don't want to miss this, that the elders in the local church are commanded to shepherd the church of God. You can't shepherd an undefined mass. You can only shepherd a definite group or flock of people. When Peter gives instructions to the elders, to shepherd the flock of God. Get this. This flock, according to 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 2 and 3, is given to the elders by God. Similarly, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, gives this exhortation to the church. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Because what do they do? What do the leaders do? What do the elders do? The elders keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief. For this would be unprofitable to you. So to, fill, to fulfill the responsibilities of both elders and members, there is a requirement, a well-defined, committed group of believers who are identified as members of a local church. And they meet together regularly for teaching, for worship, for fellowship, and for prayer. They are formally committed to the Lord and to one another to help further this cause. So, is it biblical? Yeah. Church membership is biblical. I, I hope that I just proved that point. It's biblical. Question number two. Why should I join? Why should I join 
a church. In the second message, which I'm sure all of you also remember very well, right? I quoted John Scott. He said this, If the church is central to God's purpose, as seen in both history and the gospel, it must surely also be central to our lives. How can we take lightly what God takes so seriously? How dare we push to the circumference what God has placed in the center? The centrality of the church is uh, to the purposes of God should be the reason that we are committed to a church. We understand that the church is central to the purpose of God. So we say, I want to be committed to that. But I'm going to give you five reasons this morning as to why you should join a local church. Let me be honest. I would hope that when the message is done... Some of you, if you are not aligned with a local church or with our church, would say, you know what? I need to, I need to be aligned with the local church. Reason number one, because Christ loves the church and gave himself for her. Because Christ loves the church and gave himself for her. Ephesians 5.25, Paul gives us this command, right? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and what? Gave himself up for her. He then goes on to talk about how Christ's aim is to sanctify the church so that he might present to her, present her to himself in all her glory. As beautiful, as beautifully as she can possibly be. Then he says this, husbands are to tenderly nourish and cherish their wives, just like Christ is the church. And throughout Ephesians chapter 5, we would think that Paul was talking about Christian marriage. But then he adds a surprising statement in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 32. Right? He says this, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Paul is saying that, that Christian marriage is designed to be an earthly picture of the relationship between the divine bridegroom and his bride, which is the church. And as a pastor, this, this verse moves me because if Christ loves his church, and if Christ gave himself for the church, then I need to love the church, and I must give myself for the church. My goal is to do all I can to make this church the beautiful bride that he intends for this church to be. Now, I know not everyone is called to be a pastor. I understand that. But God has given every single believer a spiritual gift which he intends for you to use to build up Christ's church. And if Christ loved his church enough to die for her, then every single believer who loves Christ should love the church enough to be committed to the well-being of the church. Secondly, it is where you learn to love God and others. It is where you learn to love God and others. The idea that you can be a Christian and not be a part of the church is disastrous. I would never say that I'm married to my wife, but I'm just not really committed to her. That is what it's like for us to say we're a Christian and not committed to a church. I mean, I love all my Christian sisters in the church worldwide, but I'm only committed to one, which is my wife. 
We should have a strong enough commitment to the local church that we work through personal conflicts and difficulties that inevitably arise in the church so that we all grow in love for one another. Commitment is like, a, is like glue that holds relationships together, right? It enables you to grow in life when there are conflicts. This is why when people live together outside the committed marriage relationship, it's bound for failure because there's no real lasting commitment there. If you casually date the church here and there, or even if you move in and live together with a church for a little while without a commitment of membership, you will bail out as soon as you encounter difficulties. And trust me, you will encounter difficulties. If we use the analogy that the church is the body of Christ, let's ask what would happen um, if your hand decided, hey, I don't like being joined to this arm, right? Your hand is like, I don't, I don't like this. And it, it tries to, you know, tries to get away from being on the arm. I don't like this. It's, it's too restrictive. When the arm says, we're going somewhere, I don't have a choice in the matter. We just go. I'm forced to go along with the arm. So I'm just going to cut myself off. Nobody do this, by the way. Right? I'm just going to cut myself off from this stupid arm so I can have some independence in my life. Now, we know that if you cut your hand off, that kind of hurt, I messed my thumb up, but if you cut your hand off, right, it can't do anything. It's useless. It has to be connected to the, to the arm. But yet that's what we see Christians do. We're not committed to other Christians. So we're we're not going to effectively serve the Lord. And they're not going to learn to grow in their love for others. 1 John 4.20 tells us, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. <clears throat> for he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. Being committed to a local church is where you learn practically to love God and love others. Third, because you need to be under spiritual shepherds who give an account for your soul. Because you need to be under spiritual shepherds who give an account for your soul. In Jonathan Lehman's book, Church Membership, he makes this argument that we need a paradigm shift regarding the local church. He says that it isn't a club or a voluntary organization where membership is optional if the club provides what you're looking for. It's not a group of people who like to get together and talk about religious ideas. It's not a service provided where the customer has all the authority. Rather, he argues this, because Jesus is sovereign king over his church, Christians don't join churches, Christians submit to churches. Now, I know that's not popular language, right? We don't want to think of submitting to anyone because, well, to be honest, we always think that we know better than someone else. Well, I know more than that person, or I know better than that person. There's no way I'm going to ever submit to them. But as we've already seen, the Scripture speaks to this in Hebrews 13, 17, right? Scripture, scripture commands Christians to submit to their spiritual elders as those who will give an account for their souls. 
that doesn't absolve individual Christians from being responsible for their own holiness and their own growth, nor does it imply blind submission to leaders who ignore or even violate Scripture by fleecing the flock or lording it over them by saying, well, I'm, I'm going to rule over you. But as Lehman so rightly pointed out, joining a church is much different than joining a service club or a voluntary organization. It's submitting to the shepherds of that church, assuming that those shepherds are indeed seeking to obey God's word. Fourth, why should we join? Because it is Jesus' means for fulfilling the Great Commission. Parachurch organizations, um, things like, uh, you've probably heard of Promise Keepers or Child Evangelism Fellowship, these, these kinds of ministries are helpful in the cause, but they agree that the local church is God's ordained means for fulfilling God's great commission to make disciples of all nations. They're committed to planning local churches and training leaders to preach the word and to make disciples. As Paul told the Philippian church, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. That's the job of the church. One spirit, one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. It's Jesus' means for fulfilling the Great Commission. Lastly, it's where you specifically serve the Lord. The whole idea of attending a local church so you can go in and kind of get your fill of spiritual food like it's a restaurant is foreign to the New Testament, right? God's given you a spiritual gift, which you are to use in serving God. And as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. First Peter chapter 4, verse 10. He says, use it in serving one another. Stewardship means that each believer will give an account to the master who's entrusted them with the stewardship of their spiritual gift. In the parable of the talents, you remember, it was the servant who was given only one talent, one sum of money, who buried it, and then he gave it back to the master without any gain. Was the master pleased? No, he wasn't pleased. The master criticized him in the harshest terms. You see, the danger of being a one-talent person is, is we have this thought, we think this, well, I don't have anything to offer. I don't have anything to offer. I'm not a pastor. I'm not an evangelist. I don't have a well-known talent. I have nothing to offer God. And the danger is you'll bury your talent. But you need to figure out how God wants you to serve. And you do it in a local church where you're committed to serving. So these are the five reasons to join. Now let's quickly see who should the church allow in. Who should the church allow in? Now, I'm not meaning just attendance. Like we're going to have guards down at the door. Well, you've got to meet these standards before you can come into church. I'm talking about membership, right? The church should accept into membership all who Christ has accepted through salvation. So what does that mean? It means that we should accept all those who have a credible testimony of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I understand that many churches are much more narrow than this. 
and that they will only accept into membership those who agree on what we call secondary doctrines. Our Constitution is very broad when it comes to membership. So there's room for those who have differences in secondary matters to join the church. So someone could have a different view of charismatic gifts and still join the church. Now, I believe we should ask those that hold a view that, that is different from Baptist distinctives for the sake of unity and harmony in the body, not to teach or, or seek to gather factions uh, with, their, with that kind of stuff and, and say, well, well, this is what I believe. I know the church says this, but this is what I believe. Let's be honest. We should always be careful that we don't gather factions over any disagreements that we have. As God's word is abundantly clear, he hates a sore of discord among the brethren. We also must understand that those who serve as elders in a church should hold to Baptist distinctives. Well, the question is, what does it consist of? What does membership consist of? In his book on church membership, Lehman, again, offers us a, what he calls a clunky definition of membership. This is what he says. Church membership is a formal relationship between a church and a Christian characterized by the church's affirmation and oversight of a Christian's discipleship and the Christian's submission to living out his or her discipleship in the care of the church. Now, to be honest and fair, we could list all kinds of responsibilities of church membership, right? Our, our current constitution sums it up like this. Members are expected to be faithful in all duties essential to Christian life, to regularly attend the services of this church, to give regularly and systematically for its support and its causes, and to share in its organized work. What I'd like to do is, is briefly, briefly give you six responsibilities of church members. Number one, they should be seeking to live by the church's covenant. They should be seeking to live by the church's covenant. Now, I want to briefly pause here. As some of you know, I rewrote our church covenant to try to bring it a little more, um, shall we say, up to date and, and to define some, uh, some distinctives uh, of a church. We've not adopted that as a church. And, and if you want to see it and compare that to our old covenant, let me know. I'll gladly print that off for you. One of the reasons why I rewrote it is for this purpose right here, is that, that a covenant uh, for a church is something that the members of the church should be living by. I felt that the current covenant was, uh, it's, it's hard to uphold as a standard for people to live by, and there are some things mentioned in there that are really preference issues uh, that we need to, uh, that we're saying, oh, you need to live by this preference rather than a sin issue. And so let me say, no one is always going to be able to comply with the church covenant because guess what? Newsflash, we're not all perfect, right? So we can't always say, oh, I perfectly comply with the church covenant all times, all the time. But that should be our aim, seeking to live by the church's covenant. Secondly, we should have commitment to participate in worship, teaching, and fellowship. Commitment to participate in worship, teaching, and fellowship. Hebrews 10.25 encourages us not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Sunday morning is our main time to gather for teaching and worship. Fellowship happens there. But it should take place in smaller settings as well. During the week, church-wide socials, these kinds of things. Thirdly, Membership, I told you I was going fast. Thirdly, membership is a commitment to uphold doctrine, practices, and church discipline of the church. 
In some areas where godly believers differ, we allow for differing viewpoints. It's okay. Not everyone has to agree with every single point of doctrine. That's, that's really all right. However, we must all agree and grow in understanding and uphold the essential teachings and practices of the faith. Fourthly, membership is a commitment to other members to give and receive service and help. Commitment to other members to give and receive service and help. Listen carefully. A church will only be healthy to, to the extent that every member is committed to using their gifts to reach the lost and disciple the saved. We are to be committed to one another. Committed to not only giving help, but receiving help. Some, sometimes we're good at giving help, right? And we're terrible at receiving help. And sometimes we're great at receiving help, and we're terrible at giving help. We're supposed to be able to do both as members of the church. Fifthly, membership is a commitment to follow the church's leadership. It's not blind submission to abusive leaders. It's willing submission to imperfect men. But they are men who are seeking to seeking the Lord and seeking to be faithful, to be faithful shepherd of God's flock. Commitment to follow the church's leadership. Lastly, membership is a commitment to support the church financially as God prospers you. When it comes to money and financing ministry, people's views are all over the map. We often don't like it when someone starts talking about things that will affect our bottom line or our pocketbook. I've preached a message or two on giving. Some people receive them well, others not so much. That's okay. Some people feel a preacher should not receive financial support from ministry. But let's not forget the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 9.14. In the same way the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Scripture is clear that the church is to support the elders who work hard in preaching and teaching, 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 19. <clears throat> support missionaries through John chapter uh, through John 5 through 8. If you want to know, I think it's May 30th that we'll have an entire message about finances. So if you want to know which one to skip, there's the one you can skip. May 30th, I believe it is, we'll have a whole sermon on finances. So in conclusion, let me ask you this. Are you just dating the church? Or are you in love with the church? Are you married to the church in a committed relationship? I'd venture to guess that there are some people hearing this message that need to make a commitment to the church. They need to become members. The church needs you. As a pastor, I need you. However, in order to become a member, you must know Christ as your Savior. And so I'd ask, have you trusted in Christ? If not, you certainly can place your trust in Christ today, taking that first step. You can pray something like this, Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are God's Son, that you died to forgive me of my sins. I know I'm a sinner. I ask for your forgiveness. I turn from my sin. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for saving me. I want to live my life for you. 
Amen. It's not a magic prayer. The prayer doesn't save you. Christ saves you. Your trust in Him is part of that salvation. And a prayer is just your expression of your trust in Him. If you said that prayer or something like it, I'd love to follow up with you. Or if you need follow-up, I'd love to do that. And you can you can text us at that number, 309-328-3488. 309-328-3488. And text the word faith to that, and it'll automatically start following up with you if you've said that prayer or something like it. You need to do that in your pew. <clears throat> A few years ago, um, A man walked into our church, sat right back there in that back corner. And I introduced myself and said, how'd you find our church? And he said, oh, I, didn't, I didn't even know this church existed. I lived in this town for a long time. I didn't even know this church was here. He said, but uh, I went on your website. I've listened to several of your sermons. He's like, I can't, I can't believe a church like this exists in Washington. I've not heard preaching like that. And I just began to have conversations with him. Come back every week, week after week. Asked him, when are you going to bring your family in? He said, I'm, I think I'm going to bring them next week. I want to make sure that when I commit to a church, I can be committed to it. Those were his exact words. I want to make sure that when I commit to a church, I'll be committed to it. I became a member. Quickly jumped in. Was in the praise team. Would have all kinds of theological conversations with many members of our church. Quickly help wherever I asked him to help would come to me often. Wherever you need me to serve, you say the word, I'll serve. Week after week, without fail, would send me an email every single week encouraging me. Every week. Time and time again, would send me text messages encouraging me. Stay strong, brother. Keep the faith. Over and over again. Keep preaching God's word. In a year, that man gave his life in service for this church. One year, jumped in with everything he had. took him away. I know that that was the hardest day of my ministry. Hardest day of my life. He was my closest friend in this church. And I'll never understand it. And I don't tell you that story so you feel sorry for me. I tell you that story because that man was committed for a year to the point that some of you know that he affected your life. 
He was here one year when God called him home. We have to go beyond attending church. We have to be committed. We have to say, how can I serve? Because Christ loved the church. And he gave himself for the church. And if we love Christ, we should want to be like Christ. Not looking for factions and division and ways that we can mess things up. But how can we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ in Washington, Illinois? And how can we best do that? Let's march forth together as a unit saying that we are the church. If Christ gave himself for the church, we must do the same. And it's time to align with the church. Let's close the prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Oh Lord, that you would use something I said. This feeble wreck of a person. I don't have the words, God. I don't have all the answers. I don't know all the solutions. And Lord, you know I am far from perfect. But as we peer into your word, oh God, we see that your son gave himself for the church. Lord, that we would give ourselves for the church. We'd stop just dating the church. We'd stop wanting to accomplish what we want to accomplish, but we would look into your word. We'd gaze into your word and that it would penetrate our hearts. And that our desire would be, how can our church most effective in our community and how can I serve the church according to your word and so Lord I pray that if you've spoken to us this morning whether online or in person that we respond if we need to come forward that we respond if we need to hang out afterwards that we would do that if we need to uh, send a text message that we do that <coughs> How are you spoken? I pray we respond this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we see you.